Only Three Lads is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family, home to some of the best music podcasts on the planet. Visit PantheonPodcast.com to discover more. And if you like what we do on O3L, we kindly ask you to please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. It really helps us more than you know. Because you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Thank you for choosing to spend some of your time with us once again here on the Only Three Lads podcast, where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music from 1974 to 1999. Hello, I'm Uncle Greg. We have the PhD of music, Brett Fargo. Hello. And of course, the ambassador of love, Bueno. Hello. How's it going, guys? It's great. It's amazing that we're actually doing this episode. That's, That's fantastic. You know, we were all talking before we hit record here about all of our various uh you know medical woes and stuff so we uh are now officially changing the name of this podcast to <laughs> three old ninnies talk about their aches and pains brought yes. to you by ben gay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're kidding of course ben gay would never sponsor us no, no. sports cream smells better <laughs> yeah we are the only three gramps now the only three gramps <laughs> gramps i love it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, and I'm, I'm the head gramp. <laughs> you are. You're the leader of the gramps. You're the ambassador of gramps. <laughs> well, it's episode number 32. This week, we're taking a look at our top five debut singles from an artist or a band. And this week, kind of hard because a lot of great songs really launched a lot of the bands in the alternative genre. Yeah, I was kind of feeling that we may have been off more than we could chew because that's a lot of debut singles over <laughs> over a 25 year period. So it was pretty daunting but i'm sure we all came up with great lists i always have my uh self-imposed restrictions and my only restriction was that it had to be the first time the at least record buying public heard from this artist so no albums beforehand no eps before right. that so yeah yep. well, I, I think i just got the debut songs from these artists or bands but i don't know i'm not the phd of music so Try if it. i get the ah, i'll yep. totally oh, yeah. understand we'll, we'll find out you. Yeah. All right. You, for All sure. right. So how many did you have, Brett? Uh, I didn't count them up, but oh. I know it was well over 100. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, it was about 55, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. So, <laughs> See, now, my list wasn't that big, but I do have a long list of honorable mentions because there's, like I said, a lot of great music came out for very, you know, when kicking off a band, that very first song that we all loved and then got into them. And, you know, sometimes they didn't really pan out after that, but other times, you know, gosh, it was just album after album that yeah. we loved in the genre. So, yeah. And I, I think of like two different garden varieties of debut singles, or at least what I focused on was like the formative statement where, you know, it's just this youthful exuberance and they never quite captured that on record again. Or mm-hmm. there's the other type where, you know, the artist comes out of the gate fully formed and basically like screams to the world. This is who I am. This is who we are. And, you know, accept and love us. I totally agree. Well, I think a lot of times people, they have their whole lives to write that first album. And sometimes what happens is they're on a smaller label. So they kind of put out what they want to put out or something very emotionally connected to themselves. But then as the music business gets involved, then they want to put out a hit record. And so then they try and be formulaic or, you know, something they lose that magic. That's like, uh, 
you know, like when a band first comes out, they have that energy and they're just raw. But then by the time you kind of get back to them or a few years later, you know, the sound has completely changed. They lost their edge, but it yeah. sounds great for, you know, adult contemporary, you know, radio or whatever it is. Well, we can't all be Nickelback. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Thank God for that. Yeah, it was really tough to get down to a top five on this week. Because your very heart breaks tough. leaving some people off. Yeah. Yeah, very tough. Absolutely. All right. So let's get our list started. I'm going to be kicking off this week and kicking off my list of the top five debut singles from a band or artist is a song inspired by a riot in Notting Hill, England. It's The Clash, 1977's White Riot. After Joe Strummer witnessed tensions between black youth and police boil over into violence, Strummer was inspired to write White Riot about the experience and the need for white people to join the battle against oppression. It was a call to arms. It's one of the most iconic punk songs of all time, The Clash. They were true visionaries. White Wyatt, I knew I was going to do that. White, White Wyatt. Riot. White Riot uh, is as punk as it gets. And number five on my list of the top debut singles. So that is my number five. Uh, we're going to have a White Wyatt. White Wyatt. Uh, <laughs> I knew I was going to do that. I was working so hard not to, but it still happened. Couldn't you pour me one of those? That's a great way to open the show. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Greg's Uncle Greg screws up again. All right. Well, hey. No, it's no. amazing. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Brett, what's your number five? All right. For my number five, I return to my go-betweens and their debut single, Lee Remick from 1978. <laughs> It was released on their own Able label and, incidentally, distributed by our episode 15 guest, Robert Vickers, who wasn't a member of the band yet. And because a great single also has a great B-side, I will mention the flip side, Karen, as well. The single introduced the world, or at least a few city blocks of Brisbane, to the band's driving creative forces, Robert Forster and Grant McLennan. on her shoes, stars on her chest, and I, 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 lovely Best friends and musical soulmates, these sides capture a simpler, more primitive crystallization of their earliest influences, namely film and literature, respectively. Even though they are imbued with the spirit of the Australian DIY scene, it was abundantly clear that the Ryan literate Gobies were cut from a different, less aggressive, artsier cloth. The sound was perched somewhere in between the Velvet Underground, the Modern Lovers, and the Monkees, and sounded an awful lot like the jangly indie pop scene that they would help to inspire a few years later. Lee Remick is, yes, an ode to the legendary actress who would have been 43 at the time. Old timer. It represents a certain pop culture fetishism that wouldn't really be in vogue in indie music for at least a few years. With its infectious bubblegummy ba-ba-bas and ay-ay-ay-ay-ay-ay lovely remix she's a darling chorus, it's a charming winning noise made by college theater art students who just want to make a pop single. Flip the record over and you have Karen, a bookish love letter to the local librarian who helps Forster find Hemingway, Chandler, Genet, Brecht, and Joyce before finishing with the obvious but brilliant line, she always makes the right choice. I don't want no hoochie coochie mama no back door woman no Queen Street sex 
The song starts as a slow burner and speeds up over its four minutes as the narrator gets more frantic and obsessed. The early go-betweens would release one more similarly pop-tastic single in 1979 before retreating and regrouping a couple years later. But I, 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 love Lee Remick by the go-betweens, my number five. Wow. And of course, part of that band, part of our little community here, right? Yes. Yeah. Robert Vickers, although he would not join until 1983. So this yep. was pre-him, but, but definitely was a part of that of that scene because his band was on the go-between's able label at that time as well. Well, Mr. Vickers, welcome to the community of the Only yes. Three Lab podcast. We yes. love you, Mr. Vickers. It's great so, to have you. Yes. Yes. Bueno. All right. So my number five is the first single by an English band, Electronic. Uh, this song was composed by Bernard Sumner of New Order. Johnny Marr and Neil Tennant of Pet Shop Boys. And we're just sitting here getting away with it. It was first released in 1989. Uh, musically, Sumner wrote the verse, Marr wrote the chorus. Incredible song. It's a fluent, rich production, incorporates a full orchestra actually conducted by the Art of Noise and Dudley. King in the rain just to get wet on purpose. And a rare guitar guitar solo. There we go. I can't talk either today, so there we go. <laughs> I By Mark. It off. Sorry, guys. That's all right. Well, I was. I knew it. I was sitting here thinking about. It. I know I'm going to mess up. So why not just do it and get it over with? <laughs> Line of three remixes that appear on the two UK 12-inch releases, taking musical-style disco and acid house music. So Getting Away With It appeared on 7-inch, 12-inch CD and cassette, as well as the single edition and 12-inch uh, or 12, <laughs> three 12-inch mixes. Oh, uh, boy, I'm telling you, one of those days, guys. So um, the videos were actually were made by Chris Marker and produced by uh, Michael Schamberg for uh, European use in 1989. And they also shot a second one in 1990, was made for the U.S. release. And Sumner intended and appeared uh, against the series of colored backgrounds with artistic effects superimposed. And two women's faces are also panned in the close-up. Uh, pretty cool the way they did that. And uh, Ben Thompson in the uh, NME described the song as the most complete pop record of the week by an infinitive margin. A lovely airy melody that drifts in and out of the song, gently weighed with love horns, one-liners, and the record somehow manages to be much of more than the sum of parts and stubbornly refuses to give up the element of mystery. And uh, this song actually uh, remains well-known due to the commercial success of reached number 12 in the UK, 38 in the US, and of course, when this came out, it was totally anticipated by both the music press and, of course, fans of New Order, the Smiths, and Pet Shop Boys. And along with Get the Message and Perhaps Disappointed, this remains their best-known song and also sold about 350,000 copies in the U.S. in 1990 in August at Dodger Stadium. Electronics supported Depeche Mode in their World Viol Violation Tour for two dates at the venue and then at the uh, Cities in the Park event in Manchester a year later, and then the Wembley Stadium one in December of 1991. And of course, the Pet Shop Boys guested in all these performances. So getting away with it is a common part of Johnny Marr's live sets these days. And in July of 2013, Sumner joined Marr on stage to perform the song. And that's my number five, top five first single, Electronic. 
getting away with it. I love that song. We wabbit. (laughs) It was just a lot there. (laughs) Wouldn't it be a perfect opportunity for Johnny Marr to appear when the Pet Shop Boys and New Order finally tour? They're supposed to be here next month. They're going to be in, uh, Mm -hmm. I think, L.A. Uh, yeah, it was, supposed, it was actually supposed to be uh, Friday, I think. Really? Oh, no. Yeah. No. yeah, last Friday. Yeah. Well, hopefully yeah. 2021. It's got to be better than 2020. You, know? <laughs> you ask we COVID. Yeah, anything's got to be better than this thing, COVID thing. All right. Well, hey, my number four song is from the summer of 1981 and has Rolling Stone naming it one of the 100 greatest pop songs of all time. Now, the song was written by Jane Wyland and Terry Hall of the specials in Fun Boy 3. Of course, it's the Go-Go's with Our Lips Are Sealed. course, Fun Boy 3 released their version of the song and had a top 10 hit in the UK. The debut from the Go-Go's was bigger everywhere else here on Spaceship Earth. The Go-Go's opened for the specials on the 1980 Seaside Tour of England, and while on the road, uh, Whelan and Hall were hooking up despite Hall having a girlfriend, so... Our lips are sealed. Now the lyrics express a resilience and an independence from other people's opinions, something that we can all use once again today. But that's my number four this week. Go-Go's Our Lips Are Sealed as one of the top five songs from a debut single from a band or artist. Awesome. Love that song. Oh, yeah. I know you're a big Go-Go's fan, Bueno. Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely. I thought of you when I picked that. Cool. As am I. And as a part of the Go-Go's documentary, they play a little snippet of the original demo for that. Oh, no way. Which is just, oh, it's really good. I haven't seen that rock doc yet. Where can you, I find me either. it? So, I so you need to sign up for the free trial of Showtime. Just don't forget to cancel it like I did because now I've been paying for it for two months. Oh, <laughs> so, no. And okay. you haven't even used it because you forgot. And I haven't even used it. Although there's a, a New Order doc on there, too, that I really want to see. And a Bowie doc. Oh, wow. I love rock docs. Yep. Yeah. There's, there, there are some good ones there. So. Well, I signed up for WWE for 99 cents to watch the uh, Clash of the Champions tonight. And I'll make sure I'm going to cancel it like a day before. It's supposed to be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bad boy, huh? WWE. Oh, yeah. WWE. <laughs> now appearing in this corner, the Kool-Aid Man. <laughs> yep. All right, Snap into a Slim Jim. Yes, you are. Okay. All right. For my number four, I've got to go with the auspicious vinyl debut by The Smiths. Hand in Glove, released in May 1983. From the first second of the record, it had to be obvious that The Smiths would become a musical force to be reckoned with. The opening guitar chime and harmonica wail suggested that this was triumphant pop music, 
but its minor key underpins the melancholic but slightly humorous romanticism of Morrissey's words, a style of Oscar Wilde-esque writing that had never been married to pop music quite like this before. Maz obsessively implores that everything depends on how near you stand to me, but ultimately resolves that I'll probably never see you again. That's classic Maz right there. His croon suggests the influence of classic torch pop vocalists, but made it very clear that he was a singular talent, often imitated and I'm guilty as charged, dang it, but never bested. The first of many masterpieces that Morrissey and Marr would pen during their all-too-brief partnership, Hand in Glove, was criminally overlooked by the record-buying public upon its release, failing to make the British singles chart. It would later occupy the number three spot on the UK indie charts, only held off by, any guesses? Nope. No, I don't have The Smiths own This Charming Man, and what oh. difference does it make? <laughs> the only time, or I guess the first time, I don't know if it's been done since, that the same band held the top three spots on the indie chart. Sandy Shaw's fantastic cover would hit the UK top 40 and number one on the UK indie charts the following year. The B-side was a supercharged live version of Handsome Devil, a song that of course minces no words with Morrissey's Yelp declaration of desire. For one of the most stunning opening shots in any band's catalog, Hand in Glove quite obviously shines out of my behind at number four. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> the sun shines out of my behind. Bueno. <laughs> so uh, my number four, I've been actually really getting into this band for the last two weeks for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, it's the Specials and Gangsters, released May 4th, 1979, and limited to 5,000 copies of the track were distributed by the Fleeting Two-Tone record label in May of 79 as a double A-side along with The Selector by uh, label mates The Selector. given a full release two months later and went on to reach number six in the UK charts, uh, becoming the specials and the two-tone label's first hit record. The single was aired on John Peel's Radio 1 show on Monday, May 7th, where he was so pleased with it that he played the other side as well. <laughs> so this song is about an incident that happened to the band while on tour in France with the Clash of all bands. They were held responsible for damage in the hotel that another English band had caused, and the hotel manager held one of their guitars as collateral. <laughs> okay. The situation escalated when the hotel called the police and ended up with the specials actually paying for the damage. So the song is a reworking of uh, Prince Buster's 1964 ska classic Al Capone sampling the car sounds effects that opened the song. The opening line, Al Capone's guns don't argue, was changed to Bernie Rhodes knows don't argue as an insult aimed at Bernard Rose, who had briefly been the band's manager. So despite being a top 10 hit, the song had not appeared on any of the studio albums by the band, although it did show up on the 2008 compilation, The Best of the Specials. And that's my number four top five first single, The Specials, Gangsters. There Jerry Hall showing up again. Yes. I know. Yeah. And that is on the fantastic This R Two-Tone compilation that had a great half-speed remaster issued September the 26th for Record Store Day. So you got that, right? I got it. And it oh. sounds so good. I cranked that thing up yesterday. So they're still out there. So if you can find any Record Store Day leftovers, 
pick up that This R Two-Tone compilation because it has all of the best known and loved uh, two-tone classics from the specials, the selector, madness, etc., etc. And you know, the funny thing about that, I had all of this written by Wednesday, so I knew nothing about you going, I mean, I knew the record store day was today, but or yesterday, but I didn't know nothing about that album. Oh. that you picked up so there you go there you go it's cosmic it's, it's very cosmic totally <laughs> well once again hey thanks for hanging out with us on the only three lads podcast now don't forget we are on all the podcast platforms like Podbean, spotify stitcher tune in spreaker apple podcast the iHeartRadio app and now you can just go to google type in only three lads podcast and bang we are there you're hanging out with us and thank you once again share when you're on facebook you see the notifications come out please share those because i'm sure you got cool friends that would want to hang out in this community too so don't forget about that stick around we're going to be up with our number three and number two song of our top five debut singles from an artist or a band coming up after this if your idea of a hot date is sweet talking surrey in the bathtub no thanks i'll pass pervert you need a serious classic alternative infusion. Only three lads. It is time for your Only Three Lads music news. Social activist band Midnight Oil is releasing a music video for the second song released off their upcoming mini album. It's called First Nation. You are listening to it now. Midnight Oil's first new music in 17 years. The seven song Macarada Project mini album is due out October 30th. Also scheduled to be released on October 30th, Cleopatra Records will release a new 12-inch colored vinyl single featuring a pair of newly unearthed and previously unreleased mixes of Ministry's classic 1985 single, Every Day is Halloween, with another previously unreleased song on the B-side. Foo Fighters are bringing back some of their old merch, the band announcing they are celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Van Tour by launching the first Foo Fighters 25th anniversary merch capsule. Fans can get their hands on old and new designs, celebrating all of their work over the last quarter of a century. And that is your Only Three Lads Music News. Be quiet, I'm hunting rabbits. Yes, you are here with the Only Three Lads podcast where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music from 1974 to 1999. I'm Uncle Greg. We have the PhD of music, Brett Vargo, and the uh, ambassador of love. Bueno. Y'all got your canes? I got my cane. You got yours? The Only Three Gramps podcast. Mm-hmm. Sponsored yeah. by Geritol. <laughs> <laughs> and any cane manufacturer that wants to uh, sign up with us. Yeah, actually, Ben Gay, Geritol, whatever. If you want to sponsor us, bring it oh, on. Please, yep. Yes. We're here. I think I think uh, probably Nationwide Vision, uh, something like that, probably is more appropriate. Hmm. That would be good. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be good. I'm blind as a bat. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> uh, well, this week, once again, we're taking a look at the our top five debut singles from an artist or a band. And we're at number three now. And the song that lands at number three on my list of the top five debut singles kicks off with a gritty guitar rift with a sound that's kind of a throwback to the Stooges and MC5. It's the first genuinely great grunge song and also probably the worst pickup line ever. Touch me, I'm sick from Mud Honey.
the pioneers of the Seattle grunge sound have never been media darlings, but they are darlings to numerous grunge and alternative rock musicians. They inspired that high distortion sound with that homeless look with this song. Uh, and God love them because in the late 80s, the music scene was getting predictable and everyone was in competition to see who could look more like an alien or a Power Ranger. And these guys came out like they just rolled out of bed. And wow, this song is powerful. I love it. You know, who wouldn't want to start a band after listening to Touch Me, I'm Sick from Mud Honey? And that's why it's number three this week on my list of the top five debut singles. Came off the Sub Pop, I would say record label. That's the word I was looking for. Yes. Oh, wow. It was a record pop. label. Yeah. It is a record it label. It is a record label still. But that's where Nirvana came from. They really uh, inspired a lot of that Seattle sound. And that's where we get grunge. <laughs> wow. Honey. Love it. Yeah. That's a good left turn. Yes, it is. Brett, you're number three. All right. So my number three was the debut single from a band that I dearly love. Yet somehow, I think this is the first time that I've ever worked them into one of my lists. Amazingly. And it is The Cars with Just What I Needed, released a week ahead of one of the greatest debut albums of all time in May of 1978. It's often been said that The Cars' self-titled album is a greatest hits record in itself. Any one of its nine tracks could have been released as a hit single on its own. I don't mind you coming here Wasting all my time Cause when you're standing all so near And, of course, the Cars have a career full of pop brilliance, but just what I need is arguably, in my opinion, their finest achievement, encapsulating everything that made the Cars so great. Chunky power chords, icy synth, driving rhythm, radio-ready harmonies, Rick Ocasek's clever sardonic lyrics masterfully interpreted by bassist Ben Orr, it's all here, a fully developed sound that would serve the band well over the next 10 years. It's a record that existed in a strange musical Venn diagram, embraced equally by rock fans, punk junkies, new wave kids, and poppers alike, because, kids, a great song is a great song regardless of factions or tribal posturing. Strangely enough, it was a hit, but not a smash, scraping the lower end of the top 30. But it's one of those songs that has just been so omnipresent and has remained a staple over the past, yikes, 42 years. Mm -hmm. It's a song that everyone knows and can joyfully sing along to. It's a track that instantly sparks joy, unlike that old sweater that you really should get rid of. And right about now, isn't that just what we needed? And that's my number three, Just What I Needed by The Cars. Oh my gosh, I probably heard that, thought, that song a million times, and it still sounds just so fresh. It does. Yes, yes it does. Yeah. And I said, I said it before, my brother brought that album home, and we just played it front to back, front to back. That's probably the first album that I just listened to over and over and over oh. again. I could tell you the sequences, and I know what notes coming up after the one song ends and the next one starts. Yep. Uh, what a great band. Um, and then, of course, Rick Ocasek had said that Greg, Greg Hawk, who is the keyboardist in the Cars, was really what gave the Cars their sound. So the keyboards were there, and it's really funny because my brother is not an alternative music fan. Uh, he was more of the hair rock and, you know, mm. hair nation on, you know, Sirius is what he would be listening to. But he brought home that Cars album, and it really changed the way I look at music. What a great band, great writing. Rick Ocasek, I know he died just about a year ago, a little over a yep. year ago, a few yep. weeks ago. But what a great artist he was. Everything he did just kind of 
he touched it and it was gold. Yeah. Everything and there's really very few bands who kind of existed in that crossover space, right? That you don't know if they were new wave, rock, pop, little punk. They were all of them. Yeah, they were all of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very few. I would would say probably maybe the police, maybe, uh, I don't know, somebody like Dire Straits. I don't know. There's a few bands that kind of crossed over in those different realms. But Dire Straits almost made my list with uh, Sultans of Swing. Yeah, mine too. been a good one. I almost. It was like, "Mm, can I pick them? I was like, well, you know what? Bueno did pick Wings. Oh, yeah. So I was thinking, hmm, but... Then I found other songs that meant more to me. So yeah, you absolutely could. But what's your number three, Bueno? Well, my number three is uh, you know just don't box me in, guys. Okay. By Stan Ridgeway, <laughs> which uh, is a, a work between uh, Stuart Copeland of the Police and Stan Ridgeway. And of course, you guys know it was part of the soundtrack for the Francis Ford Coppola movie Rumble Fish, mm-hmm. and was actually released as a single. Copeland plays guitar, drums, bass, keyboards, and Ridgeway sings and plays harmonica, which is awesome in this in, in this song. I love it. And the music video was directed by Howard Deutsch, which uh, shows footage from Rumble Fish, black and white images of Ridgeway and Copeland in the studio, receiving significant airplay on MTV. song peaked at number 91 in the UK singles charts, but when the time came to write the music for the credits roll at the end of Rumblefish, Stewart called uh, Standard Ridgeway a wall of voodoo, of course, Mexican radio, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Stan was on tour. <clears throat> yeah, That's I know. That's his favorite song to go along <laughs> with it, too. And uh, Stan was on tour in Boston when he got the call to fly out to California. He left the stage, went to the airport, caught the red eye, arrived at the studio early in the morning, armed with his studio strength coffee and him and Stuart began to work on the lyrics. Don't Box Me In was written and recorded in one very long day. And then we put Stan back on the plane at 7 a.m. the next morning to meet the band on tour in Jersey, I think it was. And the mix that he used on the soundtrack album and the credit roll was actually a rough mix of his half-inch tape done the next day. He doesn't recall exactly why it was necessary to use the rough mix, but I believe the, the two-inch multi-track master tape was damaged in transit at some point. The 24-track master actually seemed to have been damaged by Stan Ridgeway himself. So that's, I know. So that's my number three. Yeah. How juicy. Uh Oh, Stan Ridgeway, don't lock me in. Written in one day. Wow. Uncle Greg. All right. Well, runner up this week on my top five debut single list is from a band that wanted to combine the music of Chic and the Sex Pistols. Now, the bass line gives this song the disco flash of chic and the punk hmm. bravado of the Sex Pistols, of course. Say it with what? me. Wonder what? Duran Duran Planet Earth. Earth. Now, I know this song has made prior lists for me, but it has to be on this list also. Released in February of 1981, this song was an instant hit in the UK.
Now, I know that people think I have a love affair with John Taylor, and I think I do too. Uh, his bass playing should not be underestimated. If you pay attention, you know, Planet Earth, Rio, Girls on Film, Nightboat on Duran Duran's yeah. debut album, which uh, Planet Earth also came off. Check that out. It, it makes you want to learn bass. And just think, three years prior to Planet Earth, Taylor didn't even know how to play guitar. I just love Duran Duran, this early stuff. Um, and I was 11, 12 years old. MTV first introduced me to D Squared and Planet Earth. And I want to thank MTV, even though now they blow chunks. <laughs> but uh, Duran Duran, Planet Earth, that's number two this week for me on the top five debut singles. Well, I guess that's another blown sponsorship. Yep. <laughs> we don't need MTV. What are we going to do? <laughs> hey, this week on Who Gives a Crap? You know, <laughs> Oh my God, I drank and then she was all, then I was all, so then she said, so then I said, oh God, I need that like a, need a stick in the eye. <laughs> Done with MTV. MTV Classic, I still watch, but it's all like, it's it's a weird mix because they'll have sometimes just like rap shows, which is all right. But then a lot of times that they're just saying, you know, hits from the 90s, it's like three-fourths rap and then maybe you might get something from Nirvana or whatever. So that's going downhill for me too. Yeah, oh, must be 120 minutes and i'm like woo but when am i up 3 30 in the morning very rarely yep Gramp. <laughs> Gramp. <laughs> grandpa greg oh. the damn kids on this uh podcast just remember it's only the good uncles that get promoted to grandpa yeah. all right <laughs> Brett, yeah. what's your number two? All right. My number two is the amazing first single by Kirstie McCall, They Don't Know, released on Stiff Records in June of songs and there are records they're obviously intertwined but separate concepts somewhat a great song of course is very subjective there are many different answers as there are listeners in the world a great record takes a great song and ties it up in a nice little package and slaps a bow on it and it makes the listener feel the music it's the overall combination of the performance the little production nuances the arrangements the mix etc etc they Don't Know is a great song and a great record. It's a sparkling pop production that's obviously steeped in a 60s aesthetic from Phil Spector's girl groups and Brian Wilson's layered harmonies. In fact, McCall recounted that the arrangement of the song was the direct result of many hours spent studying good vibrations. McCall is fondly remembered, at least by me, as one of music's most underrated and amazing vocalists and songwriting talents, and I consider They Don't Know to be one of the greatest records ever created. So here's a fun fact. When Stiff plucked Kirstie from the pub band Drug Addicts, that's a good name for you, they asked her if she had any songs of her own. She lied and said, yeah, I'll have loads of them. Baby, <laughs> Another solid impersonation by me. <laughs> Even though she didn't. And then she went home to write a song and what came out? They don't know. So that's a pretty solid homework assignment to turn in. Oh, and I can't go without mentioning my favorite part of the song, which occurs after the bridge when she bursts into an impassioned and unaccompanied 
I wonder if I can hit this note. Baby! I think you hit it. You did it. Pure pop magic. The stiff single, well, it's stiffed, a reflection of the record's poor distribution rather than musical quality. But in 1983, the song would become a worldwide top 10 for Tracy Ullman in a cover version that stays very true to the original. Of course, Tracy Ullman's version also had a music video with a high-profile cameo by... Paul McCartney. Than Paul McCartney, exactly. I remember that. But ultimately, nobody does Kirsty like Kirsty, even if they don't know. Obviously, they've never heard of love, like the love I have for They Don't Know as my number two debut single this week. Good pick. Love it. The, I remember you know what? The show. There are artists, and then there's Christy McCall. That's yes. all I got to say. So I know you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Yep. Right. Bueno. So my number two is uh, the first single by an American rockabilly band, Stray Cats, Runaway Boys, released November 21st, 1980 by Arista Records, where in the UK it peaked at number nine in the singles chart and was later included on their first record. Uh, actually reached number three in Belgium and number nine in the UK. Please watch this video and watch the way Lee Rocker just destroys the double bass. I mean, he makes it look like he's playing a small guitar. And oh my well, god, this is my favorite song and video. It just show, shows you how cool they are at, at any age. I mean, Brian Setzer, Lee Rocker, Jim Phantom, these guys have been around for 40 plus years and they can still do it. And they had so many great hits. I mean, you know. Stray Cat Strut, you know, she's sexy plus 17, look at that Cadillac, I won't stand in your way, bring it back again, rock this town, which the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is listed as one of the greatest songs that shape rock and roll, and this is one for the Runaway Boys, and keep running until you find that dream in this world. That's my number two, guys. Runaway Boys, Stray Cats. Uh, I could listen to this song forever, and that video is just amazing to go along with it. And they're going to be on tour next year, I believe. They were supposed yep. to be on tour this year, so hopefully we can catch them. Well, I can't wait. I don't really know if I know that track. Oh, come on. Are you playing with know. me? Because I wasn't a Stray Cats guy. It just seemed like fake rockabilly to me, but oh my I really should check them out after it's all cool. these years. This song is great. I mean, just the lyrics are amazing. Well, Brett, you know, in episode 31, the top five songs of 1976, you picked Richard Hell with Blank Generation. And I've was been listening to that song a lot because I've been a little bit obsessed with it. Yeah. The one thing that I notice, I know that Stray Cats listen to that song a lot too, because if you listen to uh, Stray Cats Strut, I'm talking the bass line's the same, uh, the ooh, yeah, 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 all the same. So I know that uh, those guys in the Stray Cats were big Richard Hell fans. Yep. I know the hits, so my homework assignment this week is I'm going to check out more Stray Cats. Yep. Good. I think you'll be very happy. I think that's you'll be a, too. Yeah, they were a lot of fun. Yep. I remember because my sister was 17 when the song came out, "Sexy and 17. Oh no! And just oh no! Watch her strut around the house, and we're like, whatever, uh-huh. whatever, you female dog. You know, <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah, I was a great little brother, Uncle Greg. Woo! Do us a huge favor. Go to Facebook, like our page, hit notifications because these episodes come out on Tuesday morning. And do us another favor. We'd really appreciate it. Make sure 
that you hit share. Share our posts so that more of your friends can really get to this podcast. I'm sure that they're going to love hearing about music and some of our best music that takes us back to the best days of our lives. So please do that for us and stick around because our number ones this week of the top five debut singles is coming up next. Yeah, definitely hang in because there's some music here that you guys probably totally forgot about. So uh, not pulling something from our our friend over there at uh, 91X, but we're trying to resurrect stuff for you guys too. What's your favorite musical discovery from O3L? What's your favorite Cure song? Thomas Dolby or Howard Jones? These are the types of hard-hitting discussions that are going on over at the O3L Facebook page. Join the worldwide O3L community by logging on to facebook.com slash only3lads and liking the page. Comment on our show topics like when listener Paulo Cochero from Portugal gave us his top five songs from his graduation year of 1985. Number five, GNR, Dunas. Number four, Propaganda, Dream Within a Dream. Number three, The Smiths, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. Number two, Prefab Sprout, Bonnie. And number one, The Jesus and Mary Chain, You Trip Me Up. Great list, Paulo. Welcome back to the Only Three Lads podcast. Once again, thank you for sharing your time with us. I'm Uncle Greg. We have the PhD of music, Brett Vargo, and the ambassador of love, Bueno. Whoa. We're here, guys. Whoa. We're here already to number ones. Yes, already. Yes. It goes by so quickly. Yep. I wish we could spend more time with each other. Yep. Oh, well, yep. we can do that during the week. Yep. <laughs> we'll send pictures. Well, plus we get four hours every uh, Sunday morning, too, together. Sounds saucy. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we're taking a look at our top five debut singles. A lot of people had to be le- left off our list. Kind of broke my heart. Why don't we go through a few of our honorable mentions now? Oh, I already talked about Dire Straits. Yep. There was also Pet Shop Boys for me, West End Girls. I, that band, I didn't know it was about gay cruising, uh, West End Girls. But um, as I got older, I found that out. But still, what a great song. I remember that song everywhere on the radio back in the 80s. Oh, yes, for sure. Yep, yep. What you got, Brett? Uh, let's see. Some of mine, REM Radio Free Europe. I guess that you can one. Yep. figure out what's what's not my number one. Uh, <laughs> Ramon's Blitzkrieg Bop, which I didn't I, pick. Them, yeah. You did yeah. not pick? Oh, okay. no, I would have, but I used it last week. Top yep. five songs. Yep, that's right. I stayed away from that one. Um, I went Aha, Take On Me. One. Oh yeah, the clean tally ho, uh, rock set by Doctor Feelgood. There are so many yeah. good yep. ones. So many. Here's mine: Howard Jones' new song, Green Day, Longview, Missing Persons, Mental Hopscotch, Oasis, uh, Supersonic, Morrissey, Swadehead, Joe Jackson. Is she really going out with me or with him? Uh, Weezer, Undone, the, the Sweater Song, Blondie, Ex Offender, Bush, Everything's End, Love and Rockers, Rockets, Ball of Confusion, The English Beat, Tears of a Clown. And B-52s, which I think, Rock. I think Monster. is showing up on somebody's list here today. So, Ooh, I don't know. We're mm. Right now we're at our number ones of our yep. top five. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm sorry, Buena, because my number one song this week is from a band that took their name from a Talking Heads song. Now, this oh. song never gets old. You just can't forget a classic like Radiohead's Creep. Now I'm putting Radiohead and Creep on top of my list because I witnessed this song take off from point A. And the story went back in 1993 that Radiohead's guitarist was pissed off at Tom York, 
One night when they were on stage, he started just messing around with his guitar because he wanted to piss off Tom York, and it really helped create a masterpiece. I've told this story before because when Radiohead's album came out, Pablo Honey, back in 93, it was released. They played at a bar here in Phoenix called The Library, and it was 1993. If you brought the cassette or CD covered the little piece of paper inside, you got three bucks off the ticket. The stage was tiny. This was a tiny little bar. I could have reached out and touched the band, and I just remember being in there because we all wanted to hear the song Creep. I wish I was special. You're so special. But I'm a creep. Even though the band came to resent the song, uh, it really gave them the freedom to create the albums, The Benz, OK Computer, Kid A, and the list goes on. That's why Radiohead and Creep is my number one song this week on the top five debut singles. Okay, so I was wrong. I looked at Rock Lobster, and I should have put them on my list, but I just was thinking these other songs kind of... I don't know. They just spoke to me more this week. I don't know. Maybe next week, if we did the same episode, I might pick them, but I love... B-52s always have. I know, me too. Let's do that. Let's just keep remaking this episode. <laughs> we could do, oh, yeah, we, we could do totally different bands. Uh, dire Straits would yeah. be on there. Yep. Catch Up Boys, all these great bands. Episode yep. 487, the top debut singles, part 346. Yep. So hang on. We keep going on. And it'll be new material, so yeah, it would work. You know? Oh, Nickelback would definitely have to be worked in by that time. At that time, yeah, probably like on our fifth, 500th one or so. <laughs> well, they don't fit between 74 and 99, so right. darn it. I know. Keep that right. one. Yep. Dang you in your logic, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, keeping to the rules. Yep. I don't want to get the <laughs> ah! <laughs> All right, uh, before, before I get and here. What you got, bro? My number one debut single probably won't come as a shock for longtime listeners of the show because I have mentioned this song on several occasions and how I consider it to be one of the greatest pop, rock, or punk singles ever crafted. So I ask, what is it about 1978? Two of my debut singles have already hailed from that remarkable year and another from 79. So I guess it's just something about those years. But I'm going to have another one from 1978. And the song is Teenage Kicks by Northern Ireland's finest the undertone. Teenage dreams so hard to beat. Every time she walks down the street, another girl in the neighborhood. When she was mad, she looks so good. I wanna hold her, wanna hold her tight. Get teenage kicks right through the night. No matter how many hundreds, possibly thousands of times I've played this song, no matter how old I get, and yes, I am now a couple of years outside of my teenage years, <laughs> brought to you by AARP. 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 You get this. Oh, gosh. This record never gets old and never fails to evoke the same feelings of youthful euphoria that I did when I first heard it when I actually was a teenager. It's further proof that music does not need to be complicated or overly technical to be visceral, exciting, and a whole lot of fun. 
From the opening drum beats, it's an instantly recognizable invitation to dance, jump, and shout. Featuring lead singer Fiergal Sharkey's distinctive quiver over songwriter John O'Neill's distorted, descending bar chords, it's the perfect melding of punk power and pop smarts, a simple and completely effective ode to adolescent yearning. I want to hold her, want to hold her tight, get teenage kicks right through the night. As I've mentioned in the past, this was BBC DJ John Peel's all-time favorite song from the moment that he actually played it twice during the same show in 1978 up to his death in 2004. He also had his wish carried out to have the song's opening line engraved on his headstone, Teenage Dreams So Hard to Beat. The Undertones would go on to release four mostly great albums of increasing maturity before splintering in 1983, with Sharky going on to provide vocals in Vince Clark's assembly and proceed with a moderately successful but lackluster solo career, and the O'Neill brothers forming this petrol emotion. The band would come back together, albeit with a new lead singer, for a couple of new albums and touring during the century. I actually saw them last year in 2019, and it was an incredible thrill to hear these songs, including Teenage Kicks, live. I highly recommend going to see them if we ever get to go to concerts again. But Teenage Kicks is where it all started and still provides a rush that is hard to beat. And it's my number one debut single this week. Awesome. Love that song. Oh, it's so So, good. So beautiful. So good. Yes. Gosh. (laughs) Bueno. My number one is so pure. It's the lightning seeds. It's pure. Released I June 12th. See what you did there. Yeah. Uh, this came from their first album, of course, Cloud Cuckoo Land. And yes, when I first heard this song, I who the heck is this band? I need to find out. Find out they were formed in Liverpool, so they can't be too bad. By in 1989 by Ian Brody. You know, vocals, guitar, producer, you know. Formerly of bands big in Japan and the original Mirrors. Uh, originally, studio-based solo project by him and then it totally expanded into a touring band. And next thing you know, they experienced commercial success through the 90s and are definitely well-known for one of their singles. They have a lot of them, but Three Lions. So Pure, the song peaked at number 16 in the UK. The, the track is the band's solo entry of the Billboard's Hot 100 Top 40 in the United States, peaking at 31. And it was the first of many charted hits for the band in the U.S. Billboard Modern Rock charts. This one peaked at number eight. Just lying smiling in the dark, shooting stars around your heart. Dreams come bouncing in your head, pure and simple every time. Now you're crying in your sleep, I wish you'd never learn to weep. Don't sell a dream, you should be keeping pure and simple every time. The Lightning Seeds' first release is significant in that it was the first song Brody had completely written and sung ever. It was when producing a track for The Pale Fountains that Brody was offered a chance to release some of his own materials. He was very originally apprehensive by doing this, so I didn't think that many people would be interested if I was going to be honest, and this is what Ian Brody said. I suppose I didn't have the confidence really and wasn't in a band, but I did want to put out my music out and get it heard. Brody proceeded to record that, and 200 copies of the single were originally pressed, but after some airplay and attention at the Hacienda, the the song soon sprang to mainstream consciousness. And Uncle Greg, sometime in 94 in Chandler, I did see them at an outdoor uh, street scene, and uh, actually I was the only one right in front of the stage, leaning on it and loving them. 
and I could just touch them. That's how close I was to Ian Brody. I was just looking at him, just staring, just like. Is that the ostrich festival? I, I probably probably was, but there was no. They, they I mean, the ostrich festival? They, yeah. yeah. Well, they had that, but they always had bands. They started getting bands during the night. Yep. Yeah. It, it was fun. So. Uh, Here's a bummer, though. On June 25th, 2019, the New York Magazine, New York Times Magazine listed the Lightning Seeds as one of the hundred different artists that, whose material was actually reported uh, destroyed in the 2008 Universal Fire. So what would you say if I was to throw a sugar-coated iceberg at you and you were lucky enough and marvelous and pure to miss it and could sense what the world needs now is love, which is perfect and change is all I want, in the life of Riley. And that is my number one top five first single for Lightning Seeds Pure. You worked in a lot of Lightning Seeds titles. That that took some craft, my friend. Yes. Pretty cool, and, huh? And Noel Gallagher of Oasis was a guitar tech for Lightning Seeds. Is that oh, right? I didn't. No. no. Spiral Carpets. Spiral Carpets. I think I did that yeah. before. I you did. Episode. That's yeah. all right. Yeah, that's what I think. Spiral carpets. Right. <laughs> he was on tour when his brother said, hey, I'm starting a band. He said, don't do anything until I get there. Then he wrote all the Oasis songs. And then, of course, that's when the brothers had a falling out. Yeah. But but Ian Brody is so underrated and, you know, not just as an artist, because, of course, the Lightning Seeds Pure is a, such a magnificent song. I just love that sparkling little, you know, tinkly synth line or whatever it is. Yep. But, I mean, a fantastic producer. I love the band that he was in. I don't know if it was directly before Lightning Seeds, but uh, Care, another yep. great band yep. that he was in. So, And you mentioned that he had produced Pale Fountains, amongst others. So yep. it's a good pick. Thanks. Great list all around. I, I love it. All right. Well, let's uh, run down our top five debut singles from an artist or a band. I kicked off the episode with The Clash at number five with White Riot. Number four, Go-Go's Our Lips Are Sealed at number three for me this week. And this could be your homework for me. Take a listen to Mud Honey, Touch Me, I'm Sick. You're going to love it. Duran Duran, Planet Earth at number two. And my number one song here this week of a debut single from an artist or band, Radiohead and Creep. Uh, my number five was The Go-Between's Lee Remick. Number four, The Smith's Hand in Glove. Number three, The Car's Just What I Needed. Number two was Kirstie McCall, They Don't Know. And number one, The Undertones, Teenage Kicks. My number five, Electronic Getting Away With It. My number four, The Specials, Gangsters. Number three, Stan Ridgway, Don't Box Me In. Number two, Straight Cats, Runaway Boys. And my number one, The Lightning Seeds and Pure. Again, great list. Love all 15 songs. Incredible. We had no crossover. Nope. No, I thought we would. I thought we would too. Yeah. I'm starting to remember everything now that I'm seeing. It's been like <laughs> going back over the stuff over and over. When you do that stuff 25 years, 25 years, it's like, oh, okay, I remember that. It's all starting to come back. Yep. Plus, I think sometimes the songs that we pick, we go back to a time when we either loved our lives. You know what I mean? It, it, it takes you back to like an emotional uh, realization the way you sometimes like if you haven't heard a song in a long time, but the last time you heard it, you're all happy and life is going good. And you're like, Oh wow. I feel that again. I remember that song. And that's what some of the songs on Idlist list were this week. Yeah. Brad, let's hit the randomizer. See what we're talking about right. next week. Let us do it. Uh, nah, uh, we're going to hit the randomizer. Randomizer on this white Wyatt. Bugs on those white Wyatt. I want a Wyatt. A Wyatt of my own. Okay. No whammies. <laughs> no white whammies. Uh, I don't know. Somehow, all of a sudden, uh, I went from 
Elmer Fudd to like Ed Asner or something. <laughs> yeah. How does the top five albums of 1982 sound? It sounds great. It does oh. sound pretty great. Oh, are you kidding me? Really? Really? So, yes, I'm just kidding. It's actually the top five Nickelback songs. All right. So I wrote down, I was trying to guess what the randomizer was going to pick. I wrote down top five albums from 1981. Whoa. Wow. Look at you. Ooh. Connected. Ooh, somebody needs their own 1-900 line. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. I'm looking Ooh. right at it now because I, I actually do the word pad for next week. You know, after we finish our episode from last week. And I did it for episode 33, and that's what I wrote. So weird. Predict the future with the ambassador of love. Nine ninety-five a minute. Maybe I'm turning clairvoyant like like Garrett is. I mean, who knows? That yes. boy is clairvoyant. Amazing. You should change your name to clairvoyant. Yes. <laughs> I'd rather stay the ambassador of love. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just... All right, guys. Is there anything else you want to say? Brett? No. <sighs> Well, all I could say is I got a message of love and let's keep it going. And thanks for listening and be bueno. The theme music is Frequency, written and performed by yours truly, Brett Vargo. Any other music in this episode is presented solely for purposes of review, examination, and news reporting. If you like what you hear, go to your record store and pick up the LP, CD, cassette, or 8-track, or stream it if you're one of those newfangled fancy pants. If we're lucky enough to still have these artists with us, go out and see some live music. For the latest updates, join the O3L community at facebook.com slash only3lads. We want to hear from you. And while you're at it, click on the Shop Now link for the coolest threads. Until next time, thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.